Welcome to Manager Tools. Today's show, believe it or not, when not to give feedback, part one of two. Today, we talk about some situations where feedback isn't appropriate because the error, the mistake, the infraction is so egregious, encouragement of effective future behavior just isn't enough. Here we go. Every once in a while at one of our conferences uh, or at a client location when we're, you know, we're working with them on, you know, doing some coaching or training, whatever, we're asked about a, some kind of dramatic incident that involves a direct for some manager and the manager didn't know what to do. Now, first off, before we get into this too much further, don't feel bad if this has happened to you. It's drama and a lack of an effective solution is um, not always readily at hand, right? It, it happens ah. quite a bit. We understand completely. So don't don't feel too bad. Management not be, may not be complex, but it is hard to do well all the time. Right. When there's risks and tensions are high and we're responsible. And, you know, frankly, nobody really gave us a roadmap on how to do all this stuff. So we understand we've been there. So so anyways, they bring up this this incident, right? It's an, it could be an employee stealing or some teammate like literally physically assaults someone or abuses someone, or maybe it's not an employee. It could be an employee. It could be a customer. And we give them phrases like we advise them, like, I'm thinking about firing you, right? Or go or home go now home. or yeah. enough. That's it. Be quiet. You're in danger of losing your job. Mm-hmm. That shocks people, right? They, they don't expect that, particularly coming from us because we talk about feedback so much. And the fact that we're not recommending feedback literally just blows them away. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, really what ends up happening is, yeah, they're expecting the feedback answer, but they want the special feedback for this. Right. The special, yeah, special feedback. Yeah, the, the, the special edition, right? Secret feedback. Uh, and it boils down to what do you do, do when one of your directs does something particularly egregious something that's really just beyond the pale that everybody will be talking about at work for weeks. And it's so bad, in fact, that you could literally believe that it's possible in a different situation they could get fired for it. And the answer there is you don't give feedback. And and really, it's it's basically because of the purpose of feedback. Yeah. And that's true. And, you know, when you say that, I immediately cringe a little bit because I just know they're going to some some managers are just going to use that to justify all sorts yeah. of behavior, but we'll, we'll get into that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we have eight points we want to make uh, in our recommendation. The first one is uh, addressing your very concern about about people driving a truck through our loophole, which is feedback really does work ninety nine point nine percent of the time. Okay, folks, these are very egregious situations. It's entirely possible that you could go through your career and never have it happen in front of you. Okay. It's a little bit like police officers that even you you see them on TV and they're always pulling their guns and shooting bad guys, at least in the U.S. But in real life, police officers go an entire 30 year career and never unholster their weapon. So feedback works 99.9. We're not going to say vast majority. 99.9% of the time, feedback works, and that's what you should do. It's only in egregious situations that we're making these recommendations. Number two, we'll talk about what are some of the less than 1% that would justify something different than feedback. 
Number three, we recommend the first thing you do, and this is huge and people don't get it. The first thing you do is stop the incident. Okay. You don't ask yourself what the rules are. You don't, you don't think about who did what or what's actually happening. You stop the egregious incident, regardless of what future in, future consequences they're going to be or whether there's legal involved or HR or anything else. The first thing you do is stop the incident. Number four, we want to, we want to dissuade you from a common mistake that managers make. You don't go investigating. Investigations may happen, but they'll happen after you stop the incident and after you, you give some very specific guidance to the person who has, if you'll pardon the expression, sinned in this particular situation. Number five, we don't give ultimatums. We don't make if-then statements. We don't say, if you do this again, I'm going to fire you. And we'll explain why. But you never do that. Okay? Number six, and this is really the heart of the cast. And I'm sorry it takes so long to get there. But we want you to understand the rationale because we're moving out of the feedback scenario where the rationale is clear, encouraging effective behavior, right? Number six, we call describe the cliffside. Because when somebody's done something like this, they're playing alongside a cliff. And, and that means what you've got to do is you've got to describe what they did, the action that they took. You've got to tell them what the immediate impact is going to be. And you've got to sketch out a long-term impact as well. If you're a manager who's used feedback, you have to include the long-term impact. You always start with action, with behavior. That does sound like the feedback model. And that's because that part of the feedback model works for that very reason. Um, so describe the cliffside. Cliff um, number seven, a, a mistake that a lot of people make, you remove the person from the workplace if it's at all possible. Send them home for the day. Okay. And number eight, common mistake foisted upon uh, un unknowing managers by HR or legal or ER or senior people. Okay, go ahead and get your people together and brief them. Okay. You don't brief your people on what happened. You don't get everybody together and re review the policies on, on whatever policy was violated. It just makes everybody else feel like they were the ones that perpetrated the deed. And uh, this is simply behavior. It's in the workplace. We don't broadcast things that other people do. Yeah, everyone's going to be talking about it, but let's not add to it. Um, so we don't brief everybody. And those are our eight points. Good. Okay. So let's talk about the one that just drives me crazy. This, this, I get worried about folks driving uh, this truck through this loophole. Mm -hmm. And our point, feedback works 99.9 .9 plus percent of the time, right? right. And it's absolutely true. Feedback yeah. is the professional manager's go-to tool for encouraging effective behavior. Always. Yeah. yeah. It works. Always. Well, 99.99%. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It works always when you use it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, go talk to anybody who's been doing it for a while. Any manager who's used it for a while will tell you it works. And even better, if you ask their directs, their directs will tell you it works. Everywhere we go, when we talk about feedback, we ask groups of managers who wants more info from their boss about how they're doing, both good and bad, and everyone raises their hand. All of us want to know more about how we're doing but managers shy away from talking about performance for a lot of reasons, one being that they're afraid. So we still encourage in virtually, in virtually every case, the delivery of frequent feedback about our direct performance. Every process in the world that creates great results benefits from feedback. Yep. And we're talking yep. about the less than 1% case here, so. Yeah, good. Feedback is, is the performance communication of choice in our minds. Don't think this con this cast, what we're talking about today, contradicts the value of feedback. 
Feedback is the standard, the given. And we're not just talking about management. It is the basic tool of performance improvement and really when coming from a manager, performance communication. I got a funny analogy for everybody. Um, I grew up, you grew up for a little while in LA. I grew up my whole junior high and high school years in Los Angeles where earthquakes happen. Uh, one of the guidelines they give you, and I knew them as a kid, we all knew them as a kid. You know, if you grew up in Missouri, you probably don't know these. Um, but one of the guidelines is for surviving in an earthquake is to stand in a doorway. The reason for that is that doorways are built stronger and sturdier than the rest of the house. You know, the worst place to be is in the middle of the room where all the stress on the roof, if there's stress on any of the walls and the roof collapses, the most likely part of the roof to collapse um, is going to be right in the middle of the room. Okay. I know you're going to get to feedback here somehow. I'm just wondering yeah, I promise, how yeah. this ties but in. This really Go isn't ahead. a rant. It's not a tangent. Talk about earthquakes. Go ahead. Yeah, exactly. But look, you're told you're supposed to stand in the doorway, but you're in a kid in LA. You don't really understand why, right? You just know you're supposed to go into the doorway. Now, look, when you're a kid, doorways practically, for all intents and purposes, don't really exist. You don't think about doorways. Um, you don't think about how they're built, about how much sturdier they are than other parts of the house right around that general area. They, they normally don't even register. You just go through them, right? You know, the roof you've got overhead, it's a good thing. It's a solid thing. It's an effective shelter. Until there's an earthquake, right? And then that doorway really matters, okay? Feedback is like the roof on your house. It matters every day of the year. It works great. You wouldn't build a house without a roof, uh, and you want your roof not to leak, okay? But when you're in an earthquake, there are different rules, and suddenly it's not the roof that matters. It's the doorways, it, there's different rules for when you're in an earthquake. So when you have somebody do something that's simply beyond the pale, that's exceptionally egregious, that you could, you literally, somebody else could say, yeah, I fired a guy for doing that. And you would believe him and you would think it was justified. Then we need a different set of guidelines to handle that. And I think too often managers get a hold of one idea, feedback, and they think, well, let's apply it in all situations. Because the vast majority of situations aren't egregious, you can get away with it. But in egregious situations, um, you've got to have a different plan. Now, the, the plan is similar in many ways to feedback, but it is slightly different. And let's be clear. The reason feedback works is because it encourages effective behavior in the future. The reason we don't use it for egregious situations is because we're not thinking about an encouraging future. We've got to stop the blood flow right? We have to not encourage, we almost have to punish the person for going so far across the line. So we can't use feedback in this situation because the purpose of feedback, encouraging effective behavior, doesn't apply in an egregious moment when they're yelling and screaming at a coworker or a vendor or a customer, for instance. Nevertheless, doing that doesn't invalidate the incredible value of feedback every day, all the time. Good point. Okay, so you used the term egregious a couple times here. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about that because, frankly, I think it's egregious when I tell one of my directs to do something and he or she doesn't do it. That's egregious. <laughs> and okay, so, yeah. so my point, you know, this is a, just an example of me driving the Mack truck through this loophole. So yeah. let's talk about that, that small fraction, that less than 1%, that egregiousness. Yeah. Give me some examples of those kind of what are those situations? You know, our good friend Tomas in Sweden once told us that he listened to our podcast and he was certain that we had told him that you, you had to have one-on-ones on Thursday, right? So let me just clear up a potential misperception from what Mike just said. Mike is not saying that 
in this situation that he he is um, justifying um, using this egregious model that we're about to share with you on somebody not doing what they said they were going to do. Right. Uh, Mike yeah. just said, Oh, I think that's egregious folks. Just to be clear, he was joking. That's not egregious. <laughs> okay. That's well, completely normal. I, I, and that's I'm feedback. glad you pointed. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. You never know. You never what know. is it? I think Wellington said communicate not only so that you're understood, but so there's no way you can be misunderstood. So anyway, and, and of course I'm the poster child for that. <laughs> um, okay. So look, the rule of thumb really is egregious. I mean, and I know it probably sounds like a big word, but I like the word because the definition of egregious is remarkably bad, okay? My definition of remarkably bad is somebody does something bad and people are remarking about it for weeks on end, okay? If a situation isn't remarkably bad, then probably feedback will work, okay? Your point, though, is a good one. We think there are managers out there that will never, ever get this. They cling to the idea that we wait for weeks of poor performance from our directs, and then we address all their mistakes together in a moment that feels very dangerous to the direct. It's not encouraging about the future, that's for sure. Uh, and frankly, it's anathema to the manager as well. He, he or she doesn't want to handle it either. But in the effective manager's world, feedback is frequent. It's not rare. And it therefore, by definition, has to address small issues, not festering ones. Okay. All that said, what moments justify setting aside feedback and using this cast as the model? Look, the first one, the one most likely to occur in the list we'll give you is verbal abuse, okay? Your direct curses, curses loudly. They curse out a coworker or a customer or a vendor, anyone they're addressing in their professional capacity, which essentially means as a representative of your firm. You know, we're not talking about moments where a direct gets angry for five seconds and utters a curse word. Oh, thank God. Okay, good. Can you have yeah, that there for a second? Yeah, I did that the other day. Um, we are talking about attacking somebody personally and directly for more than 30 seconds, say. You know, curse words might very well be involved. Uh, usually the person's voice is raised uh, and an observer would say, hey, they raised their voice or they yelled at that person. You know, it's, it sounds something like, you're an idiot. I can't believe it. I hate you. Why don't you just go home and kill yourself? You know, it really vulgar, awful well, things. Okay. Or, yeah, I mean, look, yeah. I, 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 that's one of the things I've heard. It'd be better for us if you went home and killed yourself. Now, look, look folks, we suspect that your firm, if you're in a mid to big size firm, your firm has some enjoinder about this, right? Uh, it probably wouldn't hurt to know what the policy is, but we want to be clear. This cast is not about policy. Knowing policy, folks, is always a good thing, okay? Even though we've never seen a policy that would make a manager taking action feel good about what they were doing. Policies kind of have a habit of affirming values without actually sanctioning any behavior. And basically, it's all under the guise of every situation is different. And unfortunately, a manager who's unsure of himself doesn't feel supported by most of the policies we've read in our careers. Right. But as a manager, you still have to take action. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. So, so that's what, that's why this is manager tools. We're going to tell you exactly what to do. We don't want you to think this is my policy for it because your company has a policy. And we don't want you to follow your company's policy. I know of no company that we've ever worked at in what, 20 years that the things we're about to suggest would in any way violate the policy. And frankly, most managers read the policy, 
don't get the sense that they would be supportive if they took drastic action after observing a drastic event. And the policy actually hamstrings them. And then later, when some VP of HR is in interviewing the manager about what happened, he's going to say, well, we've got a policy that that says we protect our employees. Why didn't you enforce it? Right? Right. I actually had that happen in a um, a large financial services company, and the VP of HR didn't enforce it. And one of the other people in the room said, well, let's be fair to the VP of HR. You and I were in a room where a guy yelled, and we didn't stand up to him. And the VP of HR said, oh, well, that was different. But at that moment, the manager felt like he was being witch hunted, right? Yeah, exactly. So, okay. So, so verbal abuse is one of those egregious moments and certainly physical abuse has got to be, be, right? Yeah, sure. Somebody physically assaults a customer, they assault a vendor, they assault, they assault another employee, you know, they're angry. And, and by the way, folks, you've heard me probably say it before. I say it at all of our conferences. I say it to clients all the time. It's okay to be angry at work. Apparently it is because every time I ask, has anyone here been angry at work in the last month? Everybody raises their hand. So apparently it's not a firing offense, right? So it's okay to be angry at work. It's not okay to express your anger directed at another person, okay? And in some places, it's not okay to express your anger at all. So we're not saying all anger is bad. We're saying if you express your anger, particularly physically at another person, you're in a lot of trouble. And by the same token, we're saying, if someone says, well, I was just angry, that is not an excuse. When people give you that excuse, it's actually a good one to hear because essentially what they're saying is, I got no excuse. Okay. Right. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So look, they're angry. They throw a punch. They grab somebody. They shake somebody. They push them at the end of the argument in a cafeteria, right? Or even at somebody's cubicle. Now, look, folks. Please don't write us and tell us that assault, quote unquote assault, isn't legally touching, that in the U.S. that's what battery is. Assault is actually threatening to do it, and then battery is the actual doing of it, okay? This is not lawyer tools, okay? (laughs) And, And let's be clear, you're not a lawyer. Don't play one at work. You're not a lawyer. What we're talking about here is physically touching someone, usually with anger or threatening intent. If someone on your team threatens someone and then physically assaults them, right, or, you know, batteries them, right, it's not time for feedback. It's time to describe the cliffside, which we'll do in a second, or, you know, frankly, folks, in some cases, terminate them. In terms of verbal or physical abuse, I would say of the number of times I've seen it, it's much more likely, 10 times more likely that physical abuse results in immediate termination. Good. Now, even though this is an area that, at least in the U.S., is narrowly defined and definitions are quite legal and driven driven by uh, some judicial implications, right? Sexual harassment is one of these areas we got to talk. Yeah, about. and and generally speaking, sexual harassment is it's it's not legally defined, but but for the layperson and for the manager, it's defined as unwelcome behavior of a sexual nature. Many of the common definitions of sexual harassment suggest it's from a boss or subordinate. But that's frankly not so, right? It could be a peer. A peer could be the harasser. Sure. Um, and women can be harassers and men can be harassers. Uh, it can be same-sex harassment. Uh, there, there's literally no distinction made, okay? And it doesn't have to be physical. It doesn't have to be, you know, dangerous. It could be as simple as repetitively asking for a romantic date. 
Of course, it could be more lascivious than that. And folks, we have an entire cast on sexual harassment, and we go into detail about what to do when one of your directs suggests it may be a problem. That said, this cast still holds sway when you see sexual harassment happening right in front of you. Yeah. So what, what about um, theft? Oh, theft's I've okay. Seen it. You've we don't, seen it. Yeah, right? theft's it fine. Yeah, it's no problem. Theft's fine. Oh, <laughs> that's apparently, fine. That's apparently, fine. Yeah. Okay, next. So let's talk yeah, about well, Yeah, actually, let, let me be clear. Let's use the Tomas rule. Okay, folks, I was joking. Theft is not fine. Although I, I joke about it with, with clients because every September, because in the U.S., school kids go back to school in September. Every September, every major corporation's administrative uh, office supply budget goes through the roof because people are taking things home for their kids. But look, we're not talking about somebody here going home with school supplies, okay? If someone uses their corporate credit card for spurious purchases and then covers it up, or if one of your team fakes a work trip and bills it to the company when they weren't working, maybe they use a series of deceitful maneuvers, maybe, or someone has purchased a ship to their home for their personal use, which the company bought, these are serious offenses. That's theft, okay? If someone arranges for a vendor, a vendor to bill at a higher price and then kick back some of that money to the employee, that's unacceptable. It's actually worse than theft. It's fraud and some other things as well. But again, I'm not a lawyer either. Okay. We don't give feedback in the instance of theft or physical abuse or verbal abuse or sexual harassment or frankly, any kind of harassment at all. Okay. If you repeatedly communicate in an unwanted fashion, no, this is not an excuse to tell your boss all those new responsibilities are unwanted, so therefore you're harassing me. <laughs> but there are all kinds of harassment beyond sexual harassment. And all of these things we're mentioning are cases where you don't give feedback because, again, we don't intend to just encourage future behavior. We intend to punish the present behavior. The purpose of feedback is to encourage future behavior, correct future behavior. And our intent here with, with this cast for egregious moments is not to encourage. We intend to send a message that there won't be any future behaviors like that without dire consequences. If we were to give feedback, it would be for a, for a situation that we would or could tolerate several more times before we considered firmer measures. And one of the one of our favorite parts of the Effective Manager Conference, Mike, is when we talk about systemic feedback and we use the example of someone being late six, seven, eight times. And we give the same feedback, same tone every single time. And then on the eighth one, we, we, we talk differently about the feedback, but we still have a fairly level-headed tone. Whereas in this case, in this cast, with the egregious behaviors, you may actually have to raise your voice to get, the atten to get somebody's attention, and it's not inappropriate to do so. Yep. What, what about other kind of ethical violations? Do those fall into this category? Yeah, lying. I mean, sure, lying. If you, you know, right. If you make a patently false statement that could injure the company, but benefit the individual, right? Or if you mislead other people for personal gain um, or to avoid some personal consequence, some pro personal professional consequence. Or even if misleading, you know, misleading customers in order to get some kind of, you know, to win the business. Yeah, exactly. Oh, sure. Yeah. Frankly, you know, you, you could make a case. It's it's clearly not one that would be considered egregious, but there are people who feel pretty black and white about this. The whole idea of saying, well, somebody else did it, uh, knowing that that can't be validated is, is an ethical violation. You know, if you chose not to share known information, which is damaging to you or to the company, but it's highly relevant and that benefits you, that's an ethical violation as well. Yeah. And there's probably more, right? I mean, this, we've, we've touched on... A few of these kind of things, but you're, you know, you and your company probably recognize a whole 
bunch more that we're, we haven't talked about here. Yeah, I'll give you one that, that doesn't come up in, in, in some workplaces, but it comes up a lot in the other ones, and that's safety, right? If you're in a factory, safety's job one. And, you know, in an office environment, people don't even think about safety unless they have a shredder at their desk. And if you engage in unsafe acts repeatedly, or if you intentionally violate a well-known safety protocol and put other people at risk, well, that's an egregious moment. Um, safe workplaces are, are less expensive workplaces, happier places, more productive. And unsafe workplaces are dangerous places, and uh, uh, they're not tolerated. Yeah. Well, another one I hesitate to mention just because it's a sensitive subject, but uh, pornography. Hmm. People are rolling their eyes. Oh, you're just, you're, you're just teasing me. Um, what he's getting at, folks, is the manager tools pornography rule. And here it is for you. There is a well-known American quote from a Supreme Court justice here in the U.S. His name is Potter Stewart. And it's about things that are clear to us, but maybe are hard to define or state verbally. And what he did was he said about a case involving pornography, he says, I'm not sure how to define it, but I know it when I see it, which I think there are a lot of people who would probably agree about that. But in the U.S., it's funny to hear that from a Supreme Court justice because they're famous for being fabulous with language and writing and being clear and precise because, of course, laws depend on how they think and how they write them, right? And they spend a great deal of time detailing the very concepts they're, they're thinking about. And yet, Justice Stewart was basically saying, there are moments when we may not need to define things precisely, yet the thing we're discussing is self-evident enough. And the manager tools pornography rule here says that if you see something that you're certain is simply unacceptable, but you're not sure that your company has a rule about it, that you're not sure what the policy is, but in your gut, in your heart, you just believe it to be wrong. We recommend you take action as if there were a rule prohibiting it, okay? We know it's tempting for many of us as managers to doubt ourselves, to wonder if we'll get in trouble. Look, Mike and I, it's happened to us, okay? We know you've heard stories of managers going overboard or of senior people overruling some manager who made some decision on some situation. Look, we know you're worried about HR overruling you. You tell us that all the time. Or even just HR telling you how wrong what you did was and acting all high and mighty about it. And yet, basically, our years of experience tell us that for most managers, if you think you've seen something egregious, you have, okay? Yeah. You not be, may not be able to cite the policy, but if you think it's pornography, it's pornography. Yeah. It's that little, you know, you've got a little, that little voice going off in your head that something you saw was really wrong. Fact is, you're, you're probably right. <laughs> yeah. If, the, if that voice in your head says, what I saw was really wrong, and I know I should probably do something, but I don't know the rules, and I'm afraid I'm going to get in trouble if I take action because I don't know whether that rule applies to the situation or not, folks, our guidance is take action anyway. Get in trouble, not for doing nothing, but for following your ethical instincts. We've said this before a few times on air, that if you're going to get in trouble, Get in trouble for doing the right thing. Make somebody put you in trouble for doing the right thing. You shared for, with me one time a story about a, a manager. I think it. I think it was in San, that company in San Antonio. You did all that work for, right? That new manager mm -hmm. who I was yep. a, a fighter. I, something. What, what yeah. was that all about? Yeah. Look. Look. Um, well, the reason I tell the story is sort of for a different reason, but but it's very illustrative here. Is um, 
The unofficial rule of the culture at this company, and frankly, at many, many companies, and it's always false, by the way, is you can't fire somebody here, right? Right. It's just not true. Managers just say that to blame the company and specifically HR for their lack of hard work regarding feedback and coaching communication. And they come to HR and say, I want to fire if somebody. we had a nickel for every time. We- <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. We'd be done, right? We'd be sitting on a beach earning 20%. So look, anyway, I was in the building and an employee was physically and verbally abusive to a coworker. Now they didn't beat the other guy up, but they touched them aggressively and threatened them physically and it was loud and it was long. It was pretty insulting language too. Now the manager of this offender was brand new, like two days in the manager job, brand new, hadn't been to training. Hadn't had any formal instruction on how to handle really difficult situations. She'd been with the company for a while, though, and so she knew the culture. She knew that both employees were supposed to be respected, right, at all times, no matter what. And she also knew the culture was you can't fire anybody here. So what did she do, this new manager who was, I mean, she was afraid. Look, I talked to her. I I knew who she was. She was afraid. She was afraid the entire time this thing happened. She observed the assault of a brand new employee of hers. I mean, somebody had been with the company for a while, but in terms of working for her, he was brand new, like it's the same two. She had been his manager for two days. And she terminated the employee on the spot. She walked right up to this longtime employee, pulled his badge off his shirt and said, you're fired, effective now. I'm taking your badge and we're going to walk out of the building together and you're not coming back. Now, in this particular company's case, she had to take the badge because with the badge, once he leaves the building, he can't get back in, right? Wow. That's gutsy. <laughs> yeah. Might have wanted to call security, but that's. <laughs> yeah. You, I mean, you could argue that, right? Yeah, but, but the official policy recommended, in fact, they had a, you know, their, their phone system. You pick it up and you dial 911 and you get internal security, right? And that would have probably been the most prudent thing to do because in general, look, folks, we don't, we're not suggesting that if you're uncomfortable, you go, vo- you go, ang- you go confronting angry people. You don't have to do that. Security is trained in doing that kind of stuff. And, you know, sometimes people get angry if you're going to terminate somebody. Yeah, but that wasn't your point of the story, though. So Yeah, yeah. Here's the point. All the experienced managers said, even after they heard the story about this manager firing somebody and it being supported by senior people, oh, you can't fire people here. They had bought into the culture so completely that so many lazy managers had fostered there and many other places that you really can't get rid of somebody. And so when they heard the data, they just ignored it. But you know what? This manager knew better. She didn't know the policy, but she did know that the company wouldn't stand for one of its managers, or I'm sorry, for one of its people being treated that way. And since she represented the company in this moment, it was her job to stand up for that employee who was being abused. And, you know, I tell you, I've told this story before to to MBA groups, and I remind them of one of the great movies, um, great American movies is is, uh, A Few Good Men uh, starring Tom Cruise. At the very end of the movie, uh, the two guys, the two Marines, were found guilty. And one of them turns to the other one and says, why are we guilty? We didn't do anything wrong. We're just following our orders. And the one turns to the other and says, no, that's the point. We are supposed to stand up for the guy who was killed. We're Marines, and we didn't do that. 
right? Well, that's what managers do. They're supposed to stand up for people. Even if you don't know the policy, that's what you're supposed to do. She didn't know the policy. She didn't know what the official thing to do was. She probably could have thought through calling security, but she didn't. She didn't know the procedure. She just knew that what was happening was wrong. I'm going to say that again. She just knew that what was happening was wrong, that what was happening was egregious, that she therefore felt obligated to act, and she couldn't imagine a more clear example of behavior that was beyond the pale. Now, look, folks, full disclosure, she was worried in the days after that. She figured, I'm a brand new manager. I'm, you know, I'm done. And, you know, and the company investigated. Oh, gosh, they investigated. And, of course, what happened was people went down and said, everything's fine. Everything's fine to her. And then they went around and talked to everybody and had hour-long meetings in private with each person who was nearby. And it was clearly an investigation. And if you're the person whose head is on the block, it feels like a witch hunt, right? And folks from HR came down and all that sort of stuff. She didn't know whether she'd be punished even though she knew she had done what she believed was the right thing. In other words, in this example, she didn't know if she could define abuse. She didn't know what, if she could define the policy, but she certainly knew it when she saw it, and she knew what the right thing to do was without having to read it in a manual. And she knew it was her job to stop it. Thanks, everyone. That concludes it for this week. We'll finish up this topic next week. In the meantime, have a great one. So long. So long.